Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Back at it again with the Replant Bootcamp. College football has started, NFL has started. And Bob, I feel like I feel your pain a little bit. Hey, I just want to say that LSU and Arkansas have the same record. Uh, don't do they it. The same record. Don't say it. It's true. It's yeah, man. Didn't Mike Leach? I think he like he trashed LSU. Didn't he say that that uh, they played uh, Mississippi State played LSU because what did he say? Like the Patriots I, weren't I, available. I, yeah, I took it as as a out of respect to LSU. That he, <laughs> he said, we played LSU because the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers weren't available. Okay. Uh, so he was putting us on like NFL. But here's the deal. Was was 2019 LSU maybe on NFL quality? I think 2019 LSU could have beaten whatever the worst NFL team was. But 2020 LSU, it's going to be a rough year, I think. <laughs> yeah, it might be. But enough of our football sadness. We yes. we got to move on. We've got to move on to some something else. Yes, I, I'm going to have to find a new Saturday hobby because college football may not do it for me this year. <laughs> but I'm excited for us to continue this series today, Bob, and change leadership, kind of walking through – what does it take to lead change in a church? I think this is an important thing for us to talk about because for the most part, you don't actually learn this in seminary. You learn good theology, hopefully, hermeneutics, and a lot of different things like that. But the art of leading change well is a complicated, complex thing that you cannot just casually land yourself in. And so I'm excited about all the episodes that are going to come out of this series. I am too. When you mentioned you don't learn this in seminary, you're exactly right. I remember way back in the day when I was in seminary, there was a conference being held. I had just started seminary and we were in the heartbeat of classes. And there was a conference in a church that was in Kansas City. And speaking of that conference was John Maxwell and Bill Hybels. Mm -hmm. And we went to our seminary prof. A classmate of mine, and we said, "Hey, could um, could we miss class in order to go hear these guys talk about leadership?" And I guarantee you, what we got at the conference was a lot better than what we missed at seminary for those you know two days. And yeah, yeah. I still have that notebook somewhere in all the boxes of my packed up stuff. And uh, I would often, early on in my ministry career, would go back and just read those principles of leadership that were super helpful to me in leading student ministry at the time. Yeah. So the first two steps that we talked about in the last episode were first a season of prayer, stop and pray, take a, take a minute, ask God to move. And then secondly, creating a sense of urgency through understanding, defining and confronting reality. I was looking kind of back at some change leadership material I've read to prepare for today's episode. And I was looking at Jeff Orge's leading major change. And he talks about 
kind of the first two things required to lead major changes. One, major change begins with a direction from God. This is where business change leadership books are going to miss this piece. And it's, it's absolutely the single most significant and important piece of anything you're going to do in change leadership is to hear from the Lord. It's the Lord who rebuilds, revitalizes, and replants churches. So there has to be a movement of God. But he says next is it, for major change, it requires initiative from a leader. It's absolutely necessary for a leader to take initiative. And part of that initiative is going to be step two of defining and confronting reality, creating a sense of urgency, helping us understand the problem of what we're trying to do before we work towards solutions. But I would say the next step, Bob, is don't go it alone. Build a change leadership team. Leadership is lonely Mm -hmm. and you don't accomplish what you need to by yourself. You have to gather a group of folks who hear the vision and are bought into the vision and agree to be part of the mission. And so you're exactly right. We got to get a team around us. I heard a great quote just yesterday talking with a friend and he was telling me that he heard this from a friend of his named Nathan Cawthon, who is a NOBTS PhD grad. So, you know, best seminary in all of Southern Baptist life. (laughs) PhD, he's obviously brilliant. His quote was, roughly, this is the paraphrase from my friend to me, but it's good. A church can go much further with great followership and mediocre leadership than with mediocre followership and great leadership. In other words, it doesn't really matter how amazing of a leader you are if there aren't good followers helping you accomplish that. Such a good point. And I, I just want to say this because this here's what I thought when I heard you say that. One is I'm glad you got it all right. That, and, and that was that was technical. So I'm I'm gonna go back and listen to make to to remind myself of everything you just said. But the second thing that that hit my mind right after that was this. I know some really good leaders who are in really difficult situations that they're in churches that have never followed the pastor and ain't never going to follow a pastor. Right. And some of the guys listening in the boot camp, they may be in that situation where they're a really good leader, really sharp leader. They're doing all the right things, but you just got to vote. You got a group of folks. They ain't going right. It's just yeah. not, they ain't buying what you selling and they're not a part of your vision and they're not going. And that doesn't mean you're a bad leader. It just may mean you're not in the right context. So that leader then could go to a new church and the people are ready to follow and things just explode and go greatly. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say most of the time for leaders, when we're stuck in a situation, we may start taking it personally and going, I just must not be a really good leader. That might be the case, but it's not always the case. I want to say it one more time just so you get it. A church can go much further with great followership and mediocre leadership than with mediocre followership and great leadership. And so here, here's something that is really important to consider in a dying or declining church. You really have to assess if there is a leadership problem and or a followership problem. Les McEwen, who we've talked with on Predictable Success, will tell you that when a church enters into what he calls the big rut on the life cycle that he defines organizations with, that 
all of your visionary and operator leaders, as he would define them, have left the building. And one of the hard things you're going to find is if you are not a visionary leader, which we'll talk a little bit in an episode to come on how to create a vision and lead a vision. But if you are not, a, if you don't have the competency, the ability to lead well with a vision, then one, it's hard for people to follow that. And that's a leadership problem. But if you don't have operators, get it done people, people that are passionate about getting the ball moving and going, you got a followership problem. And this is where you may, you may, if you are deep enough in the big rut, really need to have a real conversation with your associational leader, state convention leader, or somebody about being replanted because you really don't need to move much further forward in the change leadership process without a team. Because if you try to do this alone, it will eat you alive. And, and so if you don't have within that congregation a team, and I'm not going to say that lightly because I, I feel like God has who probably has what you need there at the church. But if not, then you need to consider some way to get that. And, and that might mean change leadership for you from this point forward is discipling and growing a leadership team. And you really can't move too much further until you have that team. Agree. So what are we looking for when we're trying to identify potential team members, develop them? What are some of the characteristics or qualities that we need to figure out if they reside within the folks who are part of our church? Yes. As you're looking for a team, I would start, there are two things primarily I'm going to look for is character. I'm not necessarily going to hold them entirely to a 1 Timothy 3 deacon list or elder list, but I'm going to hold them to some of that list. And I'm going to look for spiritual fruit. I'm going to look for uh, humility. So just character, just generally godly character. Not perfect, but some godly characteristics. And then on top of that, chemistry. Um, Can I sit in a room with this person for three hours on a Sunday afternoon and, <laughs> and talk about the future of the church without wanting to resign immediately. <laughs> that's, that's a good description of chemistry. Um, I think a more practical one that I've heard is, is this somebody I'd want to hang out with? Is this somebody I'd text with good news? Is this somebody that, that I'm energized by, et cetera? Now that's not to say that we should never hang out with people who don't necessarily, you know, fit those criteria in our life. But you hit on the fact that character matters and then there's got to be a connection or chemistry with them. I'm thinking of, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about the folks who came to be part of our replant and left pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we had a sense of chemistry. We liked hanging together. We laughed together, but we, and here's, here's the deal breaker. Like it wasn't a chemistry issue. It was some character issues, right. Mm-hmm. That came up and um, you know, I, I don't want to air dirty laundry, but there were some of them that were just like, these were, these were deal breakers, right? Mm-hmm. Like these were, these were Christian lifestyle issues that precluded them from leading worship or precluded them from leading a small group that threatened the, the security of their marriage that caused me to think, okay, um, 
can I trust this person with heavy confidential kinds of information or can I even brainstorm out loud unfiltered thoughts that I'm just trying to, to think through? So I would just say, man, don't, don't speed past these, the character issue and the chemistry issue. If you do, you're going to be sad in the long run and the effort at revitalizing or replanting the church will be hindered. I, I define chemistry that way because I want to be honest about replants, right? <laughs> you, you, one of the definition pieces you gave was I would text them with good news. There were very few people that went to this church when I got here that do text message. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so, <laughs> just by, not that I wouldn't want to share good news with them. They would just have no idea how to open a text message and, sure. and what to do with that. And so you have to, you have to pastor and lead the people God has given you, not the people that you want. I'm not trying to set the bar low. And I think ideally we have great chemistry, like, man, I love hanging out with this person, but at a bare minimum, are they committed to God honoring God directed future for this church? That's not preference based mm -hmm. uh, and not methods based, but purpose based and mission based. Mm -hmm. And if they are, and I feel like I can hang out with them for a few hours on a Sunday afternoon and talk about that, then that at least answers the chemistry question for me. Now, Mark Halleck, our good buddy, has a massive textbook called Replant Roadmap that I use as a, a, a book holder on my bookshelf because it's one of the biggest <laughs> books on, on, on my – I mean, this thing I, – I, I, I get intimidated every time I look at this thing of just how long it took him to write it. But he has, he talks about building a core team and a replant around page 165, which is, you know, like a tenth of the way through the book. And, <laughs> and he, he says character, competency, chemistry, and commitment. And he, he holds a pretty high bar on commitment and on some of these things. And so he actually has in the appendix, appendix C and appendix D, a sample core team assessment and a sample core team covenant. And so I, I think those are at least worth your time of looking at those uh, for your information. You know, go back and read John Cotter, Leading Change, and look at when he talks about building a, a guiding coalition is what he would call it. There's some decent information in there. It's one of the steps that maybe his language is going to be a lot more businessy than we're going to be comfortable with in a church. Some of it just doesn't translate as well. But I think it's also good if you can think through, are these people influential? Are they thought leaders in the church? Or do they have a low credibility, right? Because there's a danger of if you get people on the team that really don't have a lot of credibility in the church and you try to implement change, <laughs> nobody wants to listen to what that guy says anyway. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be people that have some credibility within the church and influence within the church. I think you need to consider as much as you can, kind of crossing as many demographic categories as possible just to get those perspectives and the value of those perspectives because none of us are as smart as all of us, right? And this this isn't your yes team. This isn't your rubber stamp team. It will not work correctly if that's what you do. I mean, this is your team that is going to pray together, is going to plead to the Lord together, it's going to search scripture together. 
and and really help determine what is the vision, what is the direction of this church. Bob, what if you do go into a replant situation where you have uh, a mother church, a sponsor church, a partner church, fostering you so, at some level? At what level, how do we involve people from that church into a change leadership team? Well, I think, first of all, we're going to have to do the hard work of writing down our vision and our mission and then giving people tangible ways and handles that they can be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So so if I'm going into that church or the partner church, the sending church is, is working with me, one of the things that they often do is, in addition to sending resources, they'll send some people to help out and they'll say, you know, Hey, Bob is over here. He's doing this replant situation. I had that happen when I was here in St. Louis, you know, starting the replant journey, had a lot of people recommended uh, to us, but ahead of time, I had to do the hard work of writing down what I could see as best I could distill it. Here's the vision of what we're seeking to do at Sherwood Baptist church as we move forward. And so then that meant meeting with people, often in their living room or across the lunch table, and then explaining to them, here's who we are, here's the vision that God has given us or me in replanting this church, here's how I'm asking people to pray about helping. And so in that, describing, here's what we need to do, lead small groups to help lead, uh, you know, community engagement events to lead the kids ministry. And I'm asking for a commitment of at least one year in doing so. And then here's some things that you need to know about the reality of replanting and revitalizing a church. It's hard. It's going to take a long time. It won't look like the church you're leaving. There'll be a lot of things that will frustrate you and could upset you and that you will just have no understanding about, man, why do they do things this way? And there'll be people here that we need to learn to love and be gracious towards because they're God's people and they've, they founded this church and they've reached out and asked for us to help. So, Having that conversation with people over a meeting in a home over lunch and then giving them the prospectus as a piece of paper to to walk away from that meeting to say, hey, would you read this and would you consider helping? That helped me define the commitment and explain it and then also cast a vision for them that it was going to be hard and it was going to be challenging. And there were going to be things that they would experience as part of replanting a church that would cause them potentially to, to scratch their heads and go, I don't get it. Why, why this church is like this? Cause this is the church we left. And so those are some ways I would recommend going about helping people evaluate their commitment and examine it and then pray through it to see if the Lord wants them to be a part of the, the replant or the revitalization. Just to summarize kind of where we have gotten kind of hit the highlights here. In this change leadership process, it it starts with the movement of God. It starts with you on your knees, praying, asking the church to pray. Look at the previous episode and look at the resources we gave you there on that and creating a sense of urgency as you define and understand reality. Um, Another resource we didn't mention last week that's valuable in that process is the fourfold panorama uh, assessment by Keelan Cook, which we have an episode on as well, of helping you understand your church's role in the community and understanding the reality of where you're at as a church. And you as a leader need to take initiative in all of these things, but you don't need to do this alone. You need to build a team, but that team doesn't need to be uh, a team without credibility. 
It also doesn't need to be a, a team that's just going to discuss for forever and never actually do anything. The team needs to have a bias towards action, and we need to make sure that we're actually getting some things done. Your team needs to have character, godly character. It needs to have competencies to be able to do certain things. There needs to be some chemistry amongst the team, and there needs to be a commitment to still the four C's from Mark Halleck. Um, and if you are at a place in your church where you don't have enough people who fit those criteria to build a team, then you really have two choices, as I see it, Bob. Choice one is be okay with a really long plan that involves you discipling one-on-one or one-on-two some people until you have a team and slash or you need to reach out for some sort of sponsor church, mother church, to foster you, replant you, help you in in some way. Uh, and that needs to happen. And so one of those two directions are where you're going to have to go, in my opinion, Bob. I agree. You know, for the guy who is in a replant or revitalization context, and you've been there for a while, it really is necessary for you to build a relationship with the association leader and other pastors in the area and just to develop and network that relationship so that you could make an ask for assistance mm-hmm. and help. And then be ready. One of the first things they're going to ask you is, well, if I help you and we send some resources, also some people your way, what are you going to do? Right. And you got to be ready with that answer. And it can't just be, well, send us some young families and we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. It needs to be defined and detailed and then you you need to, to really sell them on that vision that God's given you for replanting and expect a lot of conversations to not be fruitful, but pray that God would lead you to the right place and the right people to help you. I would say this kind of as, as we wrap up, the, the people who help you initially replant a church, and this is true, planting a church, they're usually not the ones that are still there after the two-year mark. Mm-hmm. And as we think about this topic, that's what I would say for just some guys, by way of experience, I've always heard, I was around a lot of church planters and I heard them say that the people that we planted with are not the people that are here today after the two year mark. Same thing with the replant. It's just, that's just what happens. There's a, a planter in, I think he's in the Vegas area. His name's Josh Reich. And he said that there are some people who are scaffolding people mm-hmm. and a scaffolding person is a person that gives the framework, puts it up that helps you remodel something but once it's remodeled, then they go away, right? Once, once the work, that part of the work, that phase of the work is done, then they, they move on. I think that was true for us. We were so indebted and grateful for the people who came early on to help us begin to transform the church. And we were sad to see them leave, but God always replaced them uh, with someone else who came to be part of our church family for the next phase of our vision and our mission. Yep. So Jeff Org says, major change begins with direction from God. It requires initiative from a leader, and it is accomplished by followers. Nathan Cawthon, the illustrious president of the NOBTS Alumni Association <laughs> and pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas, says a church can go much further with great followership and mediocre leadership than with mediocre followership and great leadership. 
Brothers, you need a team. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.